Hustle, Texas, and beyond. Tablesmith, welcome in each and every one of you. The Dallas Spark Club's Lone Star Outdoors show brought to you by Lone Star Beer. And Hoff, our players, we've got a great show lined up for you today. It is a treat to be here talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies. Thank you so much for being here and sharing a part of your weekend with me. And what a weekend it is, too. We've got early teal and resident Canada goose seasons opening up this weekend all over the state. Uh, the north and central zone dove seasons are well underway. Uh, and then, sorry for you south zone folks, y'all still have till the 23rd before y'all can start letting lead fly. But uh, it'll be here before we know it. Anyway, I'm really excited about today's broadcast. Uh, so, you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee that's still got that mud caked on it from last early teal season because uh, we've got a lot to get into. And off the top today, we're going to talk some archery tips. Uh, the bow opener will be here, wow, uh, just looking, what, three weekends away now? Uh, so uh, Jacob Thomason from Trophy Ridge Archery will be joining us to provide some tips and pointers on you know what we can be doing as the season approaches to become better archers. Uh, we'll also talk about the React technology, uh, the bow site that I absolutely am in love with, and uh, I want to share that with you guys and gals because it's a product that uh, it's really been a game changer for me as someone who really likes to do the bare minimum uh, as far as messing with my gear. I'm not a tinkerer. I never have been. Uh, so when you hand me a product and say, here's all you have to do, and this thing is ready to go, that's the kind of product that I love. <laughs> so uh, we'll talk about that as well. Then we'll change things up and head down to South Padre. We'll grab our fly rods and stalk the mangrove flats for tailing redfish with our buddy Captain Vince Ochoa. I had the pleasure of uh, fly fishing for redfish and black drum for the first time a couple weeks ago. And it, it truly was uh, a game changer. I cannot wait to go back and do it again. And we're going to get into that here this morning as well. Then a follow-up to last week's interview with DSC Director Ben Carter. We'll have Alaska Fish and Game Conservation Director Bruce Dale on the program to talk about what the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has done in this gross uh, abuse of power, telling Alaska that they no longer have the right to manage their own state wildlife refuges. It's absolutely mind-boggling. There's corruption that is just rampant in the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service right now, and it starts with Director Dan Ash. Uh, we'll talk about what they've done to Alaska and why other states and, and other hunters and outdoorsmen and women should be concerned. Uh, so that's coming up here in a little bit. And then we'll round out today's broadcast with a fishing slash adventure trip that you should be adding to your bucket list. It's one that I just got back from uh, in Ontario, Canada, and you don't have to do this in Ontario. You can also do it in Minnesota, or you can do it in both. Uh, but a Boundary Waters canoe slash fishing trip is very affordable, and it's like nothing else out there. Um, I highly recommend it, and I'm going to give you all the details on what you can expect and uh, how much you can budget for this trip. Like I said, pretty affordable and something that uh, if you haven't done it before, you need to grab four or five of your buddies and say, hey, we need to go do this because the fishing is incredible. And uh, everything from smallies to pike to walleye to lake trout, you can get into all of those species up there. Uh, so 
That's what's on the docket for today. It's going to be a good one. I'm certainly pumped up about it. A couple other things to mention. Don't forget that our September Photo of the Month contest is going on right now. Up for grabs for this month's prize, we've got, and this is for all you duck hunters, dove hunters, basically anybody with a bird or gun dog. Uh, how about a Garmin Sport Pro uh, made by Tritronics? This is an e-collar uh, and remote that it, it's the same thing I've been using on Bell for six years. I've still got the same one, actually. Six years later, that thing has been through the ringer, and uh, it is still ticking. Uh, but we've got a brand new one, Garmin Sport Pro. They retail for uh, $250, so a nice prize here. And uh, this one, like we said, is being offered up as our September Photo of the Month Grand Prize. So you know what to do. Send in your best outdoor photo, hunting or fishing or landscape, sunset, whatever. Send it to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com, and we will get the top 50 photos, as we do every month, uh, published on our website and ready to roll for a fan vote at the end of September to determine who will walk away with the Sport Pro for their four-legged hunting buddy. Um, also, our 12 monthly winners from this year will square off at the end of 2016 for our grand prize hunt package contest. And uh, one lucky listener will get to go hunt black buck and axis deer with me down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. So another great hunt package uh, offered up by KCR. And we are certainly looking forward uh, to going hunting with one of y'all again this year. Um, let's do a quick giveaway. I've got a Lone Star Beer prize pack. Plus, we'll throw in a Lone Star Outdoor Show sticker. So how about a camo shirt, a red Lone Star Beer cap, a couple koozies, and a Lone Star Beer bandana to the third person to text in the word teal. That's teal since it's the opening of early teal season. A text in the word teal to 214-289-7807. That's 214-289-7807. And you could walk away with the Lone Star Beer prize pack. Okay, uh, let's knock out a quick break. We've got some archery stuff to get into next right here on DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. If I'm not acting like myself lately, doing things that I don't. Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes, from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. So you know I love my guns, and one of my favorite hobbies is target shooting. Grant Stinchfield here. Recently, I got to experience what it's like to shoot at the Rockwall Gun Club. It's an amazing place, sitting on 70 acres, but what makes the Rockwall Gun Club so special is not just its first-class state-of-the-art facilities. Yes, it even has a 500-yard rifle range where your results show up on an iPad. But for me, it's the private atmosphere. It's like a country club for gun owners, 100% members only. And what's so cool is that many of the members are law enforcement officers, so it's common to be shooting shooting next to the pros. The Rockwall Gun Club has 19 100-yard rifle stations, 19 25-yard pistol stations, and if archery is your thing, there's even a range for bow hunters. Now is the time to act. Become a founding member like me. The incentives they're offering are too good to pass up. The Rockwall Gun Club offers family and corporate memberships. Visit rockwallgunclub.com to set up a tour and see firsthand what it's like to be part of a private shooting experience. Visit rockwallgunclub.com. That's rockwallgunclub.com. Tell them Grant Stinchfield sent you. 
Howdy friends, Cable Smith here, and many of you have seen my pictures throughout the last hunting season of my Custom 7 mag. That rifle was built by Horizon Firearms. Horizon Firearms is a custom rifle builder here in Texas, located in College Station, and they specialize in extremely accurate custom rifles designed exactly the way you want them. Give them a call at 979-229-4664 or check them out at horizonfirearms.com. LSC Trailer Sales offers a full line of utility trailers, from small single-axle trailers to heavy equipment trailers, ATV trailers, car haulers, landscape trailers, cargo trailers, truck beds, and more. They can special order a custom trailer to fit your needs and have the ability to customize standard models in-house. LSC Trailer Sales is here to assist you with any questions that you have about trailers. Call 940-566-1133 or visit lsctrailersales.com. That's lsctrailersales.com. Hey, this is the pig man. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I felt his touch, I felt his guiding hand. The buck was mine forevermore. Because of Fred Bear. Love him or hate him, that's Uncle Ted bringing us back on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors show. Brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players. I'm Cable Smith. Fred Bear, by the way, is the name of that tune. And uh, we're actually about to be joined by uh, Jacob Thomason, product manager for Trophy Ridge, a division of Bear Archery. But before we talk some archery tips, uh, this segment of the show, is brought to you by Scent Blocker. Y'all know by now, it's the name that I trust on all of my hunting adventures. Uh, you can check out their full lineup of apparel, uh, scent controls, uh, attractants, the whole gambit. They've got it all right there on their website at scentblocker.com. So do yourself a favor and go check it out. Uh, okay, well, let's go ahead and bring Jacob on now. Uh, he is the product manager, like I said, for Trophy Ridge. And if you're not familiar with Trophy Ridge Archery, uh, they make all kinds of accessories uh, like bow sights, uh, rests, quivers, uh, so on and so forth. And I've been using their React bow sight line for uh, four years now. Absolutely love it. And uh, so anyway, it is my pleasure to welcome Jacob to the program. Yeah, good to be here. It's certainly a pleasure. always enjoy talking archery, which is what we are going to do today. Um, but before we jump into that... Why don't you tell us what hunts you have planned that you're really looking forward to for the upcoming season? Yeah, so we've got uh, some Kentucky whitetails. Uh, season opens up the first weekend in September. Wow. Uh, got some New Mexico um, elk trying to kill my first bull. I'm really, really pumped about that. Uh, so we're leaving on that hunt, leaving for that hunt the 8th of September. Awesome. Um, yeah, and then Indiana and Kentucky whitetails throughout the, the regular season here at home. And then uh, pretty excited. Got some really big deer. Um, and then got some, some really good deer in northeast Missouri. I uh, got a hunt there the first weekend in November uh, for the rut there in northeast Missouri. So awesome. got some good stuff lined up. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. And so, man, y'all can hunt whitetails in September, so I imagine those uh, those bad boys are going to be sporting velvet still. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's one of the great parts about Kentucky is we get, a, get an early shot at them, get them on uh, early season food patterns and, and still packing velvet. So it's a, it's a cool hunt. Very cool. Um, well, let me ask you this, uh, as far as your, uh, New Mexico hunt, 
you, you said you're trying to get your first bull there. I, I got my first one last year. Have you chased elk before? I have not. This will be my first first attempt. Oh wow. Yeah. Well, you're going to good time. I mean, that's they should be kind of heading out of the pre rut and getting into that uh, phase where they're loud and ready to rumble. That's what we're hoping for. I hope to get them get them screaming and and call them in. So either way, we're going to have a great time going with uh, another uh, engineer here from the company and it's both of our first trips out there. So uh, packing in and camping and, oh, and yeah. hopefully get on some screaming bulls. <laughs> You're doing it the right way. Um, do you put in for y'all's Kentucky elk herd? Uh, we do. Um, but we actually live in Indiana, so our uh, non-resident, just like everybody else, so haven't been fortunate enough to draw that one yet. But mm-hmm. but maybe someday that'd be nice. Well, uh, not have to drive 20 hours, get to shoot one a little closer to home. Yeah. And what a success story, you know, conservation-wise too. That that Kentucky elk herd has really taken off. And uh, I think it was 15, 20 years ago, there wasn't a single elk in Kentucky. So. Uh, really. Yeah, that's a that's a cool deal, and, and hunters getting the opportunity to chase elk. You know right here at home or, mm-hmm. or more in the midwest is is kind of a it's a different environment than where you chase them out west but uh kentucky's growing some really big elk and yeah a really cool story there yeah well how long have you been with trophy ridge uh been with the company about three years uh-huh. um you know it's been a been a good time been a good ride um really enjoy it and you're the product manager so tell us a little bit about you know what it is you do day in and day out yeah, so I'm in charge of everything uh, related to product, uh, setting new direction for new products, um, working with our engineering team and our manufacturing team to get get stuff built and and get it to market. So that's that's really the cool part is we get to you know develop concepts from from nothing to bring it to market. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I'll just say you know uh, before you guys were ever even involved with our show and uh, which y'all now help us out and and help us get. Uh, a react both side into the hands of one of our listeners every fall. Uh, but the reason why I even reached out to Trophy Ridge is because I use the product in the field. I mean, that's the site that I have on my bow and have been using you guys uh, basically since I started bow hunting. The react technology, though, is, is, was really the game changer for me because as someone who uh, enjoys shooting, but, you know, I don't shoot competitively. I really don't shoot much 3D to speak of. Uh, you know, it it was just something that was so user friendly, because all you have to do is is set a couple pins, and then the rest of them fall in line, and you're ready to go whether you're shooting at 20, 40, 50, or 60 yards doesn't matter. Yep, yep, that's what the React's all about. And I mean, uh, like you said, not everyone's the best archer in the world, and and the React just gives you the confidence that when you get out there at distance, you know your sights where it needs to be, and then it's all on you. You know, you're not flinging arrows over and under the target. And, you know, it's hard to shoot a really good group at, at 60 yards if you're not a great archer. But at least the React gives you the confidence to know that your pin is where it needs to be to hit where you need to need to hit. Yeah, and so go, without going into, you know, all the engineering semantics, uh, how how is that possible? How does how does it possible to set two pins and, you know, have five that are ready to roll? Sure. So if it's, it's really pretty simple. If you know the origin of a projectile and you know two points on that arc Mm -hmm. you can predict the entire arc um it's a lot more there's a lot more science that i probably learned that in that that's essentially it yeah but that's (laughs) essentially it so we know the origin right we know the bow and when you when you accurately set the two points being your 20 yard pin and your 30 yard pin you can accurately predict the rest of the arc and the site predicts that arc for you and sets your pin in the right spot Hmm. okay 
Well, yeah, like I said, it's been a game changer for me and uh, I absolutely love it. Why don't we talk a little bit uh, about some off-season tips? You know, well, heck, you guys are starting this week. Um, yeah, it's so season. I, yeah, it's season. So, <laughs> but, you know, yeah, just as far as some shooting tips, if you're, if you're still getting out there and you know, hopefully putting in 30 minutes a day, uh, what are some things that, that folks might not think about that, you know, you could offer up as advice? Yeah, the the best tip I can get to become a better shot is is to push your limits on range. And even if you're um, never going to take a shot on an animal or not comfortable taking a shot on an animal past 30 yards, practice at beyond your comfort range. So what we what I like to tell people is is shoot, try to practice at double the distance you're comfortable shooting an animal. Hmm. Um, you know, us here in the office, a lot of us shoot at 90, 100, 110 yards. Would I take a shot at a whitetail at 100 yards? No. But what that does is if, if you practice at those extended ranges, it really corrects your form and really makes you a lot better shooter. And then when you move to those closer ranges, they feel like a chip shot. Mm-hmm. Right. Awesome. Great insight there. Um, well, cool, man. Well, I, I certainly appreciate, you know, working with you guys. Um, one of our listeners was lucky enough to win the React of their choice last month. We had over 400 photo submissions and, uh, about 14, 14 or 15,000 people voted on the website. So uh, there was a lot of interest. Folks want that site, uh, and we're certainly appreciative of, of you all uh, working with us on that front. Yeah, we're, we're happy to support you guys, and we appreciate all you guys are doing to, to get the word out on uh, React technology, and it really is, really is a game-changer in the industry, and we're just uh, trying to let as many people know about it as possible. So we appreciate you guys' help as well. You bet, my friend. You bet. Well, hey, uh, we certainly wish you the best of luck, not not just there in Kentucky, but uh, also I hope you uh, are lucky enough to punch your first bull elk tag, too, in New Mexico. Yeah, yeah, we appreciate the, the good wishes and, and hope you have a good season as well. We'll do it, man. Take care. All right, thanks. Well, there he goes, Jacob Thomason of Trophy Ridge, and we are not reinventing the wheel. I guess I just forgot what – probably I forgot most of everything I learned in ninth grade math class but if you know two points on an arc you can predict the rest of the arc uh so that's how the react technology works also uh one thing that stuck with me from that visit uh practice shooting at distances further than what you're going to be comfortable shooting at in a hunting situation it'll make you a better archer so great stuff there with jacob uh that segment by the way brought to you by lone star beer the national beer of texas Grab a 12-pack on your way to the deer lease this fall and celebrate harvesting God's natural protein with an ice-cold Lone Star beer. Lone Star beer, the national beer of Texas. Well, uh, let's take a quick break. Up next, we'll grab our fly rods, head down to the Texas Salt Flats, and stalk some redfish with our old buddy Captain Vincent Ochoa right here on DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. If you're looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW, then 3 Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide Scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. I'm Craig Boddington. 
I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfweight, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H's in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfweight, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. Hi, this is Brent Chapman, 2012 Bassmaster Angler of the Year, and I want to say thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Radio Show. Call up the captain, tell him I ain't coming in. He can dig his own coal, something else is happening. This living that I'm making is doing a sin. It's broken the lives of too many good men. Call up the captain, a little steep Canyon Rangers bringing us back on the Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. I'm Cable Smith. It is great to be here talking all things outdoors with you today. I do appreciate you tuning in as we're all set to head down to the coast and chase some tailing redfish with our friend Captain Vince Ochoa. But before we do that, this segment brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation, to get plugged in with this great group of like-minded folks passionate about education, conservation, and hunters' rights. Check us out at biggame.org. Well, uh, let's go ahead and bring on our next guest. He's a longtime friend of ours and joins us now from South Padre Island. It's my pleasure to welcome Captain Vince Ochoa to the show. Oh, it's great to be on, man. I appreciate it. You bet. Uh, so, first of all, how's the fishing been lately? Uh, it's been great. Uh, you know, this time of year is usually good, uh, crystal clear water, so it's super easy to be sight casting fish. Uh-huh. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to do down here. Yeah. Well, and you know, we always check in with Captain Lynn every month, uh, but he's based a little farther north up the coast from you because you're actually down in South Padre, right? Yes, sir. Okay. And I know uh, fly fishing is, is kind of your passion. Um, and that oh, you, yeah. yeah, I mean, you enjoy tying your own flies. You're, you're, you're uh, I'd say you're addicted to it. Um, <laughs> it. You've even mailed me some awesome patterns over the past few years, some of which I've had success with in freshwater up in my neck of the woods here in the North Texas area um, with bass and even crappie. But let's be honest, I mean, those were tied with the intent of being thrown in the salt flats. Yeah, they were. Um, that was usually when I was uh, actually just starting to tie. So I've, yeah, I've, I've come pretty addicted to it. Um, you know, I've came up with a couple patterns that I just kind of looked at 
you know, shrimp or bait fish and thought, hey, I could probably tie that on a hook and hopefully something would eat it. Mm-hmm. It's actually it's actually worked pretty well down here. Nice. Well, and I, I imagine, and, and I don't have this personal experience, but I imagine catching a fish on a fly that you've tied yourself has got to be one of the most rewarding things you can do in, in fishing. Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, it's when you see a fish come up and just eat your fly that you tied the night before, the morning of, it's it's a lot better than, you know, catching one that you went to a store and bought. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I had the pleasure of of uh, stalking the, uh, the salt flats for the first time in the upper Laguna Madre a couple of weeks ago. And, man, I mean, what an experience. Stalking, tailing redfish and black drum in a foot and a half of water. It was like nothing. Well, the only thing I could compare it to was we've kind of done the same thing with carp up here on some, you know, North Texas reservoirs. But this is, you know, taking it to a whole new level. Um, you know, my fly fishing experience has mostly been stream fishing for trout, you know, rainbows and browns. And uh, this was something I'd say equally, if not more exciting than that. And sight casting, that's the thing. When you actually see the fish, whether it's tailing or, you, you know, you can just spot it, you know, maybe 10 feet, maybe 10 yards up in front of you. Uh, and then you present that fly to that fish. It's, I don't think it's like anything else in the great outdoors. No, it's not. Um, you know, down here, the lower Laguna Madre is known for its crystal clear waters. Um, so we, you know, we're on the same latitude as, as Miami. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're one of the only fisheries in Texas that actually have snook. And we have both species of snook, the common snook and the fat snook. And, you know, during this time... You know, late summer, early summer, I mean, coming into fall, it's, we have usually two tides and it's a super low and a super high sometimes. And um, it's, I mean, you can just get off your boat. I mean, in a foot of, foot of water, you can either watch them tail, watch them wake. But the cool thing is that it's super clear water. So you can see fish, I mean, 40, 50 yards out, cast your fly and you can watch them go up, come to the till, eat, and then just take off. Awesome. Awesome. So talk about that as far as what areas you're looking for, you know, when targeting tailing, well, let's just say redfish or, in, in, you know, down further south where you're at, snook. Um, I think, you know, where we were, it was a pretty soft bottom and it was right there in the, uh, you know, the, the mangrove swamps. I'd, mm-hmm. Basically, we were fishing the edges of those mangroves. I mean, that's where the fish really seemed to like to hang out. Oh, yeah. Down here, um, I mean, we have a plethora of areas that you can go out and fish. Um, During the uh, kind of going into late summer, early fall stages, uh, one of my favorite bays to fish down here is known as South Bay. And um, it's kind of an enclosed bay area. It's lined up with mangroves. I mean, it's got turtle grass. It's got manatee grass, shoal grass, which is the only three grasses we have down here. Mm -hmm. So, if I'm taking my fly rod, one thing I'll look for is, you know, I'll get on a turtle grass flat and um, usually you can find redfish just sitting in the grass waiting to ambush stuff. And I'll either send up on my tower of my boat and, you know, just kind of blind cast a couple times. But if the conditions are right, you know, I'll stick my boat somewhere and I'll get off in about a foot, foot and a half of water and I'll just go on a stock. And uh, usually the, you can find these redfish cruising the uh, mangrove shoreline like you did in the upper Laguna. 
you can find snook. I mean, I want to say almost, I mean, they just love to cruise the mangroves. And, um, you know, you hear guys talking about, you know, you got to shoot your line, you got to shoot your line. You know, I spent some time in Hawaii and it kind of made me go back to the basics of fly fishing. You know, stocking big bonefish on the coral flats in Hawaii is, it kind of gets your blood flow and it's kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, your passion for elk hunting, you know, mm-hmm. hearing the, hearing the bugle gets you going. And, you know, in Hawaii, those bonefish tail and, uh, you know, you can be waist deep and then step up on a coral head and you can just see everything. Hmm. And going back to the basics of fly fishing from spending time in Hawaii, I brought, you know, some patterns over there that those bones love to suck up. And I realized that you don't have to shoot line, you know, 80, 90, 100 yards or more. Um, now the normal casting I'm making is probably 50 yards max. Uh-huh. But it's, you know, it's all about accuracy with your flies. Um, yeah, and you, you basically that, want to present the fly where the fish is going to be because you see it. Usually yeah, they're not, they're not still. I mean, they're moving, and uh, and you know you want to put it in front of them. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, you know, there's a couple fly patterns that I love to throw down here mm-hmm. um, for tailing redfish. I mean, you want to you want to cast your fly, you know, past the, a good amount past the fish and just strip it up to it nice and slow. And once the fish, once it gets in the view of the fish, you want to slow down the presentation, kind of let the material, let the fly pattern do its thing. If they want it, I mean, they'll eat it. Yeah. But uh, some of the some of the flies I throw down here are just uh, you know shrimp imitation flies. They're some that you know I didn't I didn't come up with some you know some of them that I've tied. Um, like I said, I tie all all my own flies. I mainly throw shrimp patterns, you know, some that I've came up with mm-hmm. looking at just different styles of shrimp that we have down here trying to match the hatch. So a lot of pink? Yeah, a lot of pink, a lot of realistic patterns like the ones I've sent you over the time. Mm-hmm. Some of these redfish down here just, they eat a shrimp more than they eat a crab sometimes if they're just swimming, if they're tailing. I mean, I'll throw up to a crab pattern, some known as quans. They're called Velcro crabs. They look like Velcro material. Um, it really, they're just tied with like crafter backing with a epoxy shell. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, I mean, you can find different patterns online. I've spent so much time in front of my computer just looking at different fly patterns to tie and, you know, trying to come up with different ideas and different things that the fish down here would love to eat. Yeah. And it's, so far, it's worked. Yeah. Well, and for folks out there listening who are not going to go out and, you know, tie their own flies. I mean, you can find similar, you know, stuff online or at Cabela's oh, or yeah. wherever. But most of these, I mean, let's face it, a redfish's mouth is on the, you know, it's on the bottom of his face. He's feeding down as to where a bass mm-hmm. a lot of times will feed up. Um, you know, redfish are feeding off the bottom. So these are all sinking flies. Um, and why don't, why don't we switch gears, though, uh, and talk about what kind of uh, setup you need as far as what weight fly rod. Um, I mean, you strong can pre- fish. Oh yeah, they're strong fish. Um, I like to keep it light just for the fun of it. Mm-hmm. So right now, this like this morning, for instance, I was throwing a seven weight glass rod, and you know it's not super super light. I have a five weight glass rod that I'll take out every now and then and catch redfish on five weights. Mm. 
but that's if you know I'm by myself wade fishing today uh I didn't really wade fish all that much so I was just kind of off you know off my boat throwing a blind class blind casting but uh yeah you can get by with a seven weight eight weight um I know some fly guides like to go with a nine weight just to be on the safe side sure um the main line that they some people like to use is floating line um I mean it's it'd be best if it's tropical line just because the coating on there is a lot thicker and more hardier than what you can get by with a freshwater line. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to have a good, strong leader. I know the midsection of your leader. I mean, I got mine right at 15 pounds and my tippets probably about 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've gone by with as little as a two pound tippet. So I've, I've gone on that super, super light side. I've also gone heavy if I'm chasing tarpon during the middle of the summer. But you can get by with a seven weight. I mean, an eight weight is ideal. A nice large arbor reel. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and some stripping gloves because if you don't want to use your drag system all that much, you got to knuckle that reel. And, and I mean, the first time I did that on a bonefish, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I had some pretty bloody knuckles the next couple of days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, you know, for, for us, there was four of us on a skiff, and that wasn't, you know, that was about probably two people too many for the boat we were on. So we just went to the, you know, the area, those those mangrove flats, and, and we got off. And we all went our separate ways, so it was kind of like, uh, this is the thing, it was kind of like we were all on our own separate little hunts, because you're really, yeah. you're hunting these fish. And the guy, like the first thing he told me was like, here's the number one thing. It's like, your your cast is going to be important, but if you don't get close enough to cast, it's not going to matter. So you got to get low when you see the fish, so lower your profile. And if you can hear yourself mm-hmm. waiting, you're being too loud. So you got to be oh, yeah. absolutely quiet as you're kind of just shuffling your feet through the water. Um, and you really are putting a stalk on these fish, which was, that was uh, for me, I think the most appealing thing was, you know, it was like, it was like you're trying to stalk an animal and, um, or on a hunt. But, uh, now here's the million dollar question. Did I actually catch a fish while I was down there? Yes. I caught a, uh, I caught a mullet. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, but that, you know, that was just kind of, well, whatever, but I did get tight on about a 15 pound black drum. Uh, and I got to play that fish for a minute or two before he finally, um, made his way over to the mangroves and, and snapped my leader off. So uh, it was awesome, uh, an experience I won't forget, one that I can't wait to get get back down there and relive. Uh, and I, I'll tell you what, just playing with that black drum is something that's going to keep me coming back again and again. That's awesome. I guess what uh, just kind of wrapping things up here, Vince, What what is your favorite month of the year to go after tailing redfish? My favorite would probably have to be this time of the month, September, going into November. You know, just because the bay is not so packed, everyone's kind of switching up to dove and ducks and deer. And, you know, I love to hunt, but my passion is fishing. I love to fish. And down here, our bay doesn't get that cold up until, like, mid-December. Mm-hmm. And... You know, that that's probably my favorite time around this time of the month, going into November. Um, you know, the best, if I can paint the picture, it'd be, you know, 
further up the coast, almost to Arroyo City, on uh, just white sand, sand flat that we have on the east side, you know, uh-huh. on a incoming flood tide. And, I mean, just look for just cruising fish. I mean, you can find anything on that flat. There's flounder, there's trout. I mean, if you feel like catching a poor man's tarpon, you can catch <laughs> you can catch a poor man's tarpon. But I mean, you'll find some big redfish just cruising that flat. Um, you know, and it's it's probably got to be in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, the morning bite, throwing on like a shrimp gurgler or, or a you know popper style fly, topwater fly. I mean, there's nothing better than you know watching a big old redfish come up open its mouth you just hear it sounds like you know dropping toilets in the water <laughs> it's i mean it's it's a it's something that brings me back when i spent time in hawaii chasing bonefish it's exactly like that so you do throw some top water flies then for redfish i, I do throw some top water flies uh-huh. I, it's one of my favorite things to do if i know they'll eat top water um what i'll usually do is you know i'll throw my normal top water just on a regular bait cast rod or spinning rod just to see if they're actually hitting top water to start off with. Mm-hmm. I'll switch it up. I'll tie on a top water fly. Usually it's just a popper that I've tied. Um, it's a weedless style popper. It's a foam popper with a rabbit strip in the back. Gives it extra movement. I mean, it looks great in the water. Hmm. And there's there's nothing, I mean, it, it doesn't compare to, you know, top water fishing with a spook or a super spook, but once you see a redfish come up after your topwater fly or a trout, just pop on it. It's great. We'll have to try that next time. Definitely. Yeah. A last question. What type of weather is ideal for, uh, you know, stalking the, the salt flats and, and going after tailing redfish? You know, you want to have a good, a good wind. I like a wind on my back cast sure. just because my, just because my line will shoot further when I'm trying to cast. Yeah. Casting into the wind but, is no fun. <laughs> Especially oh yeah. For a, you know, uh, your level of expertise far exceeds mine. So, <laughs> I'd say above five, no more than twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just that way. If you have, you know, if you don't have a stripping basket on you, if you're waiting, you know, your line's not going to get blown. You know, with the current or with the wind taking it in the water. But you like clear anywhere, skies or uh, or a little cloud cover. I like I like a little cloud cover just so you don't you know you don't have to be super super you know, in the hunting mode, mm-hmm. you know, cause I just, I like to move around. I like to look for fish, you know, I'm not going to say I like to make a lot of noise. Our fish down here are not as spookish as some other places. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to kind of run up to them where I don't make enough or I don't make as much noise, but a little overcast is great. It's great for top water. If you want, you know, a redfish where you see it's tailing, you want almost bluebird skies just so they can see that fly um i throw a lot of white so it kind of sticks out in the water so the white pattern flies will stick out well and just so I, you know i can describe it a little bit more for our listeners it's not you know and obviously a lot of them have already done this before but it was new to me uh, it's not something where you just get out because you see one redfish and you go stalk and then you come back to the boat i mean if they're on a on a mangrove you know flat they're probably going to be up and down it. So you see one, you make your presentation, you probably spook it. I mean, I know I spooked 99% of the ones I, I came across. <laughs> and then you go on, you know, then you make your way up a little farther and, and you uh, see the next one or the, the next group of them, or maybe it's a black drum or something else. But uh, you just keep on going. I think, you know, 
when it was all said and done, I'd look back and the boat's, you know, seven, eight hundred yards behind me. So uh, you just keep rocking and rolling. But, uh, oh, yeah. We we normally get, you know, like today I probably had maybe 10 shots on fly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I saw over 30 fish. I uh, just threw my fly rod early in the morning. But, yeah, you won't get more. You won't get just one shot. I mean, you'll get plenty of shots. Yeah. It's just it's just a matter if the fish wants to eat or not. Yeah. Well, hey, um, if you want to give us your contact info, I don't know if you're, you know, guiding, uh, if you're taking uh, clients out or just fishing for fun most of the time. Um, I know you're on the pro staff for some lure companies. Um, and then uh, also your social media stuff if people want to follow you there. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm not guiding full time. I'm still in school, so I'm finishing that up. I do guide during the you know, part-time, weekends, weekdays. Um, they can reach me at, uh, my phone number is 956-607-8978. Um, you know, you don't have to bring anything if you want to bring your own fly rods. It's not just fly fishing. You know, we can go out light tackle, artificial is my favorite thing to do besides fly fishing. Um, you can check out my Instagram page, Captain captain.vince8a. I normally post, you know, pictures of everything you can find on there. But, yeah, it's pretty fun. I mean, I'd encourage anyone to come out down South Padre if they've never been. You know, it's a different experience. It's almost like Florida, but not as good. Yeah. As some sure. as some people would say, but I love it. Yeah. <laughs> right on, man. Well, hey, we appreciate events and uh, looking forward to heading down there and, and uh, you know, hitting the flats with you and seeing if we can't uh, actually – get that first redfish yeah man i appreciate it you're welcome anytime all right brother take care all right you too all right our old friend captain vince achoa uh man and let me tell you if you're at all intimidated by fly fishing don't be if i can do it you can do it i think i've been doing it casually for uh five or six years now got a fly rod took a free lesson at Orvis, a one one-hour lesson, and I never looked back. And you don't have to know 100 different knots, and you don't need to know 20 different casts. Really, you know, it's just overthinking it at that point. Um, hell, I don't even use a tippet anymore. Uh, that might be uh, blasphemous among diehard fly fishermen, but I just tie the leader directly on to the fly line, and then I just tie the fly to the leader. I mean, I like things as simple as possible. Uh, so, I highly recommend you get yourself a little fly rod if you haven't already. Uh, start with some, you know, pan fish. They love poppers. Get out there. You'll absolutely love it. And like I said, that tug is like nothing else when you do hook into a, a nice-sized fish. Anyway, uh, that segment proudly brought to you by Costa Sunglasses. Go to CostaDelmar.com. Check out their full lineup of frames, lenses, and styles. You can customize them, mix them, and match any way that you want, really personalize your own pair of shades. Costa Sunglasses, see what's out there. Let's take a break. Up next, we will <laughs> go in a completely different direction. Bruce Dale, the head of conservation for Alaska Fish and Game, will drop in. Uh, we're going to get into this criminal activity by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, telling Alaska and Alaskans that they no longer have the right to manage their own wildlife. Yeah, it's uh, it's shameful, and we will break that down next, right here on DSC's Lone Star Outdoors show. Don't blink, cause like blue bonnets in the spring, we're only here for
for a little while. It's beautiful and bittersweet. If you're in the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas, Louisville, Bobcat of Fort Worth, and Bobcat of Longview. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. LSC Trailer Sales offers a full line of utility trailers, from small single-axle trailers to heavy equipment trailers, ATV trailers, car haulers, landscape trailers, cargo trailers, truck beds, and more. They can special order a custom trailer to fit your needs and have the ability to customize standard models in-house. LSC Trailer Sales is here to assist you with any questions that you have about trailers. Call 940-566-1133 or visit lsctrailersales.com. That's lsctrailersales.com. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Jason Eady bringing us back on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show, brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. I'm Cable Smith, and for all my friends who've been chasing doves since opening day, uh, which for a lot of us was on September 1st, hope you had a great uh, first week or 10 days of the season. I've made it out twice, uh, so not as many times as I would have liked, but uh, opening day, I think I shot four, and then... I did shoot a limit and beat the heat on Labor Day morning last Monday uh, with my father-in-law. So got Bell on some birds. Uh, she was happy. And uh, let me tell you, save those dove hearts. I've made two uh, really good recipes here of late uh, with those dove hearts. A lot of you probably never thought of that. Some of you might keep them. I don't know. But they are an absolutely tender and delicious piece of meat. Uh, and if you want to see more uh, as far as how I prepared them, you can check it out on my Facebook or Instagram pages. I've got videos of them up on those platforms. So check them out there. Uh, this segment of the show is brought to you by Rudy's True Texas Style Barbecue and Sendero Seed Company, Texas premier seed company, offering anything and everything you need to keep a healthy whitetail herd, including the Dr. Deer-backed Buck Forge Oats. Check them out at SenderoSeed.com or call Rob Hughes at one 877 seed today All right. Uh, well, last week, y'all might remember that we jumped into what's going on in Alaska right now uh, with Dallas Safari Club's Executive Director, Ben Carter. I figured we would actually dive a little deeper here this morning and hear it straight from the horse's mouth. Uh, so without further ado, it's my pleasure to welcome Alaska Fish and Games Head of Conservation, Bruce Dale. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, it's great to be here, Cable. 
It's, uh, it's certainly a pleasure. Uh, I guess, first of all, why don't you tell us what it is exactly that you do for Alaska Fish and Game? I'm the director of the Division of Wildlife Conservation, so I oversee all aspects of uh, wildlife research management and non-game management as well. Uh-huh. And uh, let me ask you this all-important question, because uh, I recently found out 60% of the folks that work over at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service don't even hunt, which is pretty alarming. Uh, do you like to hunt? Oh, yeah, I love to hunt. <laughs> I was uh, just recalling my great successes of the last weekend. Uh, two out of the three grouse we, that we were chasing were successful on, but we couldn't find the sharp tails. Awesome. So, oh, so you guys had a pretty good hunt then. Yeah, it was a good hunt, yep. And what what kind of grouse did y'all get into then? Uh, spruce grouse and rough grouse. Very cool. Let me ask you this, because we're going to get into this recent uh, decision that came down from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, one that, uh, in my opinion, is just absolutely criminal, um, and we'll we'll explain here momentarily. But when did the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service get the ball rolling as far as, you know, taking away Alaska's state-given right to manage your own wildlife? Is this something that has been in the works for a while or uh, just kind of came down all of a sudden? No, this has been in the works for at least a couple of years. Uh, they've been working towards this and uh, and finally got it finalized. Uh-huh. And so tell us what exactly happened and what are the implications for Alaskans and your wildlife? Well, the, the Fish and Wildlife Service chose to publish a final rule that uh, um, in itself is, is uh, somewhat problematic. It, um, it, it disallows predator management on refuges mm -hmm. for the purpose of um, increasing ungulates for harvest, basically. They do, they do, you know, they do predator control all over the nation and in Alaska as well, but uh, not to produce ungulates for harvest. And then they also weighed in on some methods and means, you know, ethics, um, regulations that changed a few things around uh, and had no biological concern or basis at all. They were basically just another layer, a tier of regulations uh, overlying state management. Hmm. The, but the big concern, I mean, those are, those are concerning enough, but the biggest concern is that the, the basis they used, the rationale that they used was for basically hands-off management that they claimed was... Uh, uh, required by policy, their biological integrity policy and, and others. And they sort of, you know, took a sort of torturous view of those policies and, and, and claims that this requires them to, to manage for naturally fluctuating populations. Hmm. And, and that basis is really scary because they may not choose to to do so, but they, you know, some groups that they listen to back in Washington may choose to litigate on some of the their management programs and exclude people and exclude certain uses. I mean, a, you know, a, a, a typical moose management, for example, even I can cite one on a refuge. We have a management plan there that we developed with the local Fish and Wildlife Service, but it's to take this population of moose and cap it at a certain level and not let it grow anymore and and harvest it and, and of course when you harvest like that so we're not allowing for natural population fluctuations we're keeping it right in the sweet spot mm -hmm. and in addition you know you you change the bull cow ratio from say 60 bulls for per hundred cows in a, in a unhunted population to you know 35 or 40 in a hundred population and that's a significantly that's not natural diversity to the fish and wildlife service anymore 
That's that's a significantly altered population. Now they're only applying this in in their rule to predators right now, but others may say you're not you're not you're, this regulation this this policy that you put into regulation you're not following it, and that could have two effects. One, it could exclude users, uh, uh, certain groups. I mean, we have a complicated management system where the feds have different rules for subsistence use, which is basically just for food mm-hmm. uh, taking of animals. Uh, than the state has. So we already have two tiers of regulations, and this adds a confusing and un- unnecessary third tier, which only applies to people from, it only applies to people who aren't federally qualified. So that's basically urban residents. Right. The, pre- the preference for subsistence is based on rural. So anybody can go out and live in a rural area and become a subsistence user under the federal law. Okay. Okay. And the, yeah. Huh. Okay. So, you know, uh, I guess obviously we're talking about coyotes, wolves, and both brown and black bear here as the main predators. And I don't know what what the deal is with anti hunters. Uh, they obviously can't stomach any kind of hunting, but it's when predators are brought to the forefront that they just lose their crap completely. Um, so you know it's no surprise we, we see the same thing with uh, mountain lions and and other various predator species. Um, what kind of recourse? Do you guys have, or I mean, is this the final re- ruling? Or are you going to appeal it? Um, what's the next step for y'all? Well, it is it is the final rule at, at this point in time. Uh, we are looking at every option we can to 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 try and change this course of action on the Fish and Wildlife Service. So we're we're looking at everything that's out there, uh, you know, um, whether it's in the courts or Congress or wherever, mm-hmm. um, looking at options there. Hmm. Well, it, you talked about you know ungulate harvest and it's no secret that that's what pays the bills uh, for wildlife conservation in this country, large, largely, you know, whether it's white-tailed deer or moose, as you alluded to. Um, and all you have to do is look at states like uh, Idaho. That's really the, the gold standard when it comes to what predators, when left unchecked, can do to uh, an elk herd. And then you lose license sales. Uh, you don't have a healthy ecosystem, and, and you know, your, your elk numbers bottom out completely. Well, the, the biggest fear is for the public that relies on those resources and or culturally and spiritually and for food and for recreation and all those uses. That's that's our big concern is mm-hmm. we want to be able to provide those resources for people who rely on them and, and want them. And the thing is, is that, you know, when, in our successful management programs where we've done predator reduction, the predators come back and they come back actually at higher levels because you've You've taken the moose out of what we term up here as a low-density dynamic equilibrium or popularly known as more of a predator pit where a moose population, for example, or a caribou population will just drag along at low densities and low numbers because there's poor survival because of predation. And and, um, we can alter that a little bit and get the population up to a size where it's less influenced by predators and there's actually more moose that can support more predators and more harvest by humans. Mm-hmm. Which, once again, pays for conservation. I mean, across the board, that's what funds conservation in this country is. Uh, you know, <clears throat> license sales, Pittman-Robertson dollars, uh, excise tax on all of our hunting equipment, um, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Absolutely. It's all paid for by the the founders of the original conservation movement. Mm-hmm. Hunters, anglers, and trappers. Yeah, yeah exactly. What's alarming to me is a you know a tweet that I read from um, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service Director Dan Ash, 
which made it clear to me he's in bed with the Humane Society of the United States. You know, he's tweeting congratulations to the executive director of the Humane Society on getting this thing passed, and it's that's mind-boggling to me. Uh, just seems I mean, no friend of the Humane Society is a friend of hunters or conservationists. The Humane Society does nothing for conservation. They don't give any money back. Yeah, I hadn't seen that. It's it's apparent that those groups, some of those groups that are anti-hunting are having a large influence back in Washington. On Talk about this, because I read something about Alaska's right to manage their own wildlife being protected in like three separate acts of Congress. Yeah, in the 70s was the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act, uh-huh. and uh, and that nothing in that act uh, uh, precluded state management. And then in the 80s, 1980 was the Alaska National Interest Land Conservation Act, and that's what created a lot of the new parks and refuges. And and in that act, also, management authority remained with the states. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess nobody remembers those agreements anymore because things are changing now, yeah. and they're they're not. We don't think that they're upholding the spirit or the intent of uh, the Lands Conservation Act. Well, and I mean, Congress passed those acts, and uh, and now here we go with so it just was forced down your throat, you know, the agency's throat, and and that was that. It's a it's a recurring complaint that that those acts also call for meaningful consultation with the state, and and we've it's not really well defined, but we know what it isn't, and then just telling us what we're to do or they're going to do isn't meaningful consultation. Mm-hmm. A lot of these problems could probably be, if they got the root at them, of them, we might be able to figure out either they're not thinking about it correctly or there'd be other ways to fix them. Hmm. Well, why should people listening in Texas or anywhere else for that matter care about what's going on in Alaska? So, yeah, that's what I wanted to, to mention is that, that we're not alone in opposition to this. The Western Associations of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, of which Texas is a member, uh, wrote was strongly opposed to this and, and submitted comments to the Fish and Wildlife Service. Mm-hmm. Indeed, even the the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, which is all 50 states and Canadian provinces, they strongly opposed this uh, federal rulemaking. And it's again, it's because that the the basis they used for saying, oh yeah, you can't manage one population to uh, benefit another, and everything has to fluctuate naturally is in regulation now and it could be coming to a refuge near you yeah yeah and in some of the even if it's contrary to refuge purposes you know like uh, up in the, the duck production zones you know they do predator control up there to produce ducks for hunters sure and sure. It, it's really not consistent with this new regulation and i guess the thing that keeps sticking out for me is that this is unprecedented we haven't seen this before and when you've got a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service director and Dan Ash who's willing to uh, go above and beyond the jurisdiction that he should have and seemingly not give a crap what anyone else thinks, um, there's no telling. Uh, this could just be the, the tip of the iceberg. It, it, that's, what, that's our concern, Cable. That's exactly our concern. Yeah. yeah. Well, <clears throat> I'm, like you said, I don't know how we're going to get this overturned, but uh, I think... Uh, you guys keep fighting the good fight. You've got the support of everyone in Texas and, and everywhere else, for that matter. Well, we appreciate uh, everybody's got to stick together on this. The states do. Well, we appreciate your time, Bruce. Okay. Well, thank you very much, and I sure appreciate you having me on. All right. There he goes. Bruce Dale, the director of conservation for Alaska Fish and Game. And like he said, 
the concern is that uh, they're not going to stop with just Alaska. Or maybe next time they'll come after more than just state wildlife refuge areas, which in Alaska is a lot of land, by the way. Um, but the U.S. Fish and Wildlife seems intent on wanting to control everything, which would violate every state's rights. And, uh, you know, this can't stand, and, and uh, we need to let our voices be heard collectively uh, as outdoorsmen and women uh, that we're not going to put up with that bull. So, anyway, united we stand, no doubt about that. Uh, that segment, by the way, brought to you by two of my favorite things about Texas, and I am talking about Port Aransas, my favorite destination down on the coast, and STI Guns. Made in Georgetown, Texas, STI has a full lineup of 1911 and 2011 pistols in every caliber available. Check them out at STIGuns.com. And go Texan, go STI for your next handgun. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, I'll reflect on a recent trip that I went on, uh, a fishing and and backcountry experience like nothing else, really. It's not a huge financial commitment by any means, and if it's not on your bucket list, darn well should be. I'll tell you all about it next, right here. On DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Free is the biggest part of me, but sometimes just ain't enough. Oh, give me something I can hang my hat on, something I can be proud of tonight. Oh, and if you want me. Smith here for Lone Star Ag Credit. We all know land is a limited commodity. Let's face it, they're not making any more of it, but everybody wants it. Whether that's to build a house, hunt deer, or run cattle, allow Lone Star Ag Credit to help make that land your land. They've been doing it since 1917. For more information, visit LoneStarAgCredit.com to let them help you finance your piece of Texas today. We all love fishing, but private water fishing makes the experience even more enjoyable. Private means private, and when you reserve one of over 50 private lakes, that means you're the only one on the water. Lakes are stocked and professionally managed to grow big bass, and most have boats on site at no charge. You'll catch bigger numbers and bigger fish than on public water. Silence, solitude, and no crowds. It's a great way to introduce kids and grandkids into the outdoors. Visit privatewaterfishing.com to become a member today. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Hey, North Texas sports fans, this is Brian Spagnola, General Manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com. 
or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. Hey, this is Cody Jinks, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. My old friend, no, you never let me down. His years went by. You went on your way, and I went mine. Like the wind, my old friend. One of my favorites there from Cody Jenks, bringing us back on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors show, brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. I'm Cable Smith. My old friend's the name of that one, and y'all might recall uh, had Cody in studio recently, and, and we were talking about that song, and, and I mentioned to Cody that I'd been listening to it over and over after uh, my 14-year-old lab Maverick had to be put down. And, uh, you know, I was finding comfort in that. And he was like, well, you know, actually he wrote that song about his childhood dog. And you wouldn't know because he humanized it uh, to where it sounds like he's talking about a person. But the inspiration for that song was actually his four-legged buddy. And uh, it's been, man, uh, it's been kind of a rough week for me. Uh, Every day gets a little easier. But this is the first dove season I've gone into in 14 years without my old buddy. So, uh me and Belle are hanging in there. She's back to eating every day, so I think uh, she's doing better for sure. But anyway, uh, this segment of the show brought to you by the Stillwaters Ranch in Llano, Texas. Go to stillwatersranch.com to book your trophy whitetail hunt for the upcoming season. I'm moving along here, though. I'm really excited about our next topic. This is a trip that I've taken three times now. We did it for the first time, I think, in 2006 or seven. again in 2009. And then just got back uh, two weeks ago from Ontario, Canada. Uh, we did a Boundary Waters canoe trip. I went with my dad, uh, both my brothers, and some of my lifelong friends from the church that I grew up in, both my age and my dad's age. So it was a group of guys made up from, I think the oldest was 69. My uncle, yeah, 69 years old. And then my youngest brother, uh, Chris, is 25. So a wide spectrum of ages uh, on this canoe trip. Uh, so here's what you do. Uh, you put it on your bucket list because it is an awesome trip. Absolutely beautiful country. And the boundary waters essentially encompass uh, northern Minnesota on into Canada, mostly Ontario. Uh, and it just makes for an absolutely memorable fishing and canoeing experience. And uh, there's campsites set out, um, very very primitive, by the way. I mean, you're going to be tent camping. Um, the best thing to do, though, is you're going to fly into either Minneapolis or you can fly into International Falls, Canada. Your airline ticket is going to probably run you about 400 bucks. Then you'll rent a car or van uh, and travel to your outfitter. And I highly recommend using an outfitter because... You're probably not going to fly a canoe up to Canada or Minnesota with you. Uh, So you find an outfitter uh, in the area that you want to go to, and there's just hundreds upon hundreds of lakes. And that's the beauty of it is you paddle through one lake. You don't want to camp at that one, or maybe the fishing's not great on that one. You go to the next one, and then the next one, and so on and so forth. And you can actually just make a canoeing adventure out of it if you're not really that into fishing, but man. The smallmouth, pike, walleye, and lake trout are abundant and uh, not very heavily pressured. It's not like going out to Lake Fork 
where every bass on that lake has seen the same lure 20 times. I mean, these fish are hungry, and there's stuff that they've never seen before. Um, anyway, we'll get into that a little bit more momentarily, but find an outfitter. Uh, I think our outfitting fee was roughly $500. Sounds like a lot, but it wasn't. We were there for uh, five days, four nights, plus one night at their lodge, and this included all of our food for every person. It included the tents. It included the dry bags for your gear, uh, stoves, propane, everything that you needed. All you had to do, you didn't even have to bring a sleeping bag. All you needed to do was just bring your clothes. Um, I mean, silverware, the whole deal, all inclusive, 500 bucks for five days. Not bad. Um, I forgot to mention the rental car is probably going to run you 150 bucks per person, something like that, depending on what you get. But uh, anyway, your outfitter will drop you and your canoes and all your gear off at an access point, and they will say, all right, we'll see you at your pickup location in five days. And that's really your only interaction with them. They might tell you what the fish are biting or, you know, uh, mark some spots on the map, tell you, hey, you can catch walleye here or pike here or whatever. Um, but just as far as a beautiful setting, uh, some amazing country, you might see bears, you might see wolves, a moose. Uh, my brother and a buddy saw a bull moose right there in Ontario, uh, just coming around a bend in a lake. Unfortunately, my dad and I were in the canoe behind them about 300 yards. And what do you think happens when someone yells moose at the top of their lungs as loud as they can? Well, of course, the moose ran away. So dad and I didn't get to see it. And we can thank my brother for that. Uh, but, you know, you'll see bald eagles, otters, um, all sorts of wildlife in uh, the sunsets, like I said phenomenal but for me the fishing was uh, the best part of the whole deal the smallmouth bass were back up in the shallows uh, on the august full moon phase and they hit every wacky rig cinco you could throw at them uh, topwater poppers was another bait that no matter what time of day you threw it <laughs> if it looked like there should be bass in a spot they tore it up uh, caught my biggest smallmouth to date on a little two-inch popper. And you want to talk about a hard-fighting fish, a smallmouth, <laughs> oh man, uh, by far in a way fight harder than their largemouth cousins pound for pound. You turn a largemouth, usually they give up. You turn a smallmouth, he comes in a little bit, and he starts making a run the other direction. Every fish feels like a big fish. You might reel it in and it's, you know, 10 inches long, but you thought you had a four-pounder on. Uh, so definitely a hard-fighting fish. Uh, some of the other species, um, we didn't get into any pike. They were pretty deep uh, in the late summer, as well as the walleye. But my dad, he got tired of catching a uh, two-pound smallmouth and rigged up a football head jig and started dropping that thing about 35, 40 feet down and dragging the bottom. And he caught a couple really nice lake trout. One of them weighed about 15 pounds, and I actually had to paddle the canoe to shore so that we could get out and land that thing because, uh, you know, when you're in a canoe, not that sturdy, <laughs> you start reaching over, and that is when folks get tumped, which I do admit I did to Dad and I <laughs> on one morning uh, during that trip. So 
So two thumbs up for the Boundary Waters canoe and fishing trip. Uh, all in, like I said, 400 bucks for airfare, another 500 or so for your outfitter, uh, and then i say 150 bucks for a rental car. All in, you're probably looking at 1000 to uh, 1100 $1,150. So very affordable when you're talking about a four- or five-day fishing trip of a lifetime. And you can choose to uh, stay on the U.S. side, the Canada side, or do both. Uh, that's all really up to you. Um, okay. Wow. Just looking at the clock here. We've got to go. Got to get out of here. Flat out of time. Uh, thanks to our guest today, obviously Bruce Dale from Alaska Fishing Game. Also, Jacob Thomason for Trophy Ridge Archery. Um, and then our old buddy, Captain Vince Ochoa, joining us from South Padre. I hope everyone has a great week. Um, keep hammering away on those dove. We've got early teal, early resident Canada goose season as well. Uh, take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, I will certainly be doing the same. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. I got a pretty good friend who's seen me at my worst. He can't tell if I'm a blessing. But he always shows up when the chips are down. 